Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Go Knights Adams and Christian Charge On Simmons. Welcome into episode 152. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at by CA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Wow, we have a lot to get through today. Sure do. Um, I want to thank of- uh, I want to thank Jalen Hayward for becoming UCF's highest commit in program history exactly three minutes before we started recording. So that was uh, <laughs> I'm no, I'm genuinely thanking him. That's great. I would yeah. have been, I would have been way more annoyed if it was three minutes after and I missed it. So this is that's true. Good times. Um, so we'll talk recruiting. We'll talk realignment. We'll talk fall camp. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot to get through. But let's start with our five star review question, um, which comes to us. I don't even have. I don't know why I said who it comes to us from. I don't even have the name, but. You got a five-star review question. What are the top three games you've attended in person and the worst three? So this was more difficult than I thought it would be. Yeah. So my um, top game I've ever attended is Jalen Hayward's first game as a knight okay. in, uh, in 2024. So Jalen Hayward is hijacking this five-star review question. <laughs> rightfully so, I suppose. Uh, pretty much. Um, yeah, you can go first. All right, I'll go first. You, should I go best three first or worst three first? Uh, let's do let's do worst three so we can end with best three and that'll carry us right into the okay. recruiting talks and since it'll be like us going for happier time. Worst three, um, starting with the 2016 Cure Bowl. Oh, that's just, a good one. Well, no, it wasn't. It was, it was really bad. Um, it was not fun. Um, I I was back home for uh, Christmas break at the time, so I drove to Orlando and back in the same night just to go to this this game, and it was absolutely awful. The whole the whole vibe was like. And I don't know, am I misremembering this? That like going into that, I was like, oh yeah, UCF's going to win. Yes. Was I wrong? That, that, no, that was absolutely the vibe. And what was controversial about it was that was not just the vibe of the fan base. UCF very much gave off that vibe too. There was some controversy, if I remember right, where UCF was like not participating in some of the bowl events or something. And I remember Arkansas State's players and their coach kind of talking about after the game, because I, I covered that once I was at, what, who was I covering that for? I don't, I don't know. For some reason, I was at Arkansas State's press conference for that, but Oh, because they did them together. That was a total, no one cares except me, but whatever. Um, And I remember they were going off on how like they felt disrespected by UCF and all this. Like UCF, it, UCF was supposed to win that easily and got absolutely crushed. So yeah, so not a fun time. I uh, really didn't enjoy it. Uh, my next one, <laughs> my next one was 2022 Louisville. Um, Just not, not a fun game. At yeah, all. not a great one. I, I don't have much to say. It was just not enjoyable. It was like the, the and I don't know, it was weird to me because there were some pretty good crowds, I think, in 2021, but that crowd was, I feel like, the best in a while. So it kind of just felt like, okay, like this is like the UCF I remember from pre-COVID. Right. And it it didn't go well and I didn't enjoy it. Not a fun time. No. Um, my final my final one for worst three was 2022 against Navy. Nice. Just absolutely horrendous day, morning. It started at 11 a.m. Kind of forgot about that until now um the vibes were always off because of that and again we talked about this a couple weeks ago on the podcast it might have been last week that up until like the last possession i was like well ucf's still gonna like somehow find a way to pull this out as awful as as awfully as they played and they sure didn't and it just yeah the season went completely downhill from there yep so there's my worst three. Let's get your worst three. Cool. I feel like I'm not pulling my own as a podcaster right now because I really just want to talk about Jalen Hayward. So apologies to whoever submitted this question because uh, anyway, so my worst three were 2015 Furman, 2015 FIU, and 2022 Navy. Okay. What were your top three? My top three, uh, the 2017 Warren I-4, I think is an easy one. Um, 
just in terms of game and atmosphere and meaning and everything, it was unreal. Um, the Peach Bowl I threw in there because I mean the Peach Bowl wasn't like the best game ever. Like I went to better games, but in terms of ones that I've been there for in person, this was just like I have to have this on my list just because it was such a, a meaningful day for UCF. And then um, kind of a surprising one as I did this. Um, I mean, obviously, like game day could have made the list. Um, the AAC championship games could have made the list. But I went with 2021 Boise State just because of the weirdness oh. surrounding that. It was a good game. It was like a big comeback by UCF. Oh, okay. What? Interesting. No, I, that's and fine. Yeah. It was just a unique experience of being in the stadium for about four hours before the game finally actually kicked off after the weather delay. The game ending right around one something in the morning us getting back and doing a podcast up until like almost 3 a.m. And it was just a very memorable, memorable thing. It was Gus Malzahn's first game. And I remember kind of going in like thinking after all the off season of hype of like Gus Malzahn, we're here, we're going to play games in parking lots. This is going to be great. And them going down was like 21, nothing or 21, seven. I was like, Oh boy. Yeah. And after all that waiting and all that, you know, just getting drenched by the rain and you know, the, Lightning delay, all that stuff, and then them coming back and finishing the game after 1 a.m. It was a, a memorable one. Your right. top three. My top three were the Peach Bowl, the game day game, and Texas in 07. Okay, so Jalen Hayward just committed to UCF. Um, first off, I want to apologize to Luke Spratt, who did ask that question. I just want you to know that this isn't my fault. It's it's Jalen Hayward's fault for doing this. And uh, I here I'll throw I'll throw in another I'll throw another analysis for me. I'm really just including 2007 Texas because I was there and I wanted to brag about it. I was 10 years old and don't don't really remember the game, but um, I do remember it being a big deal. We were playing Texas, so 10 year old me, high on the list. But um, yeah, again, apologies to Luke. Um, that was just bad timing with Jalen, and I really want to talk about it. So UCF just landed their highest rated commit in program history. That is insane for the second year in a row. That this is like, I don't even know what to think at this point about how they're doing this. They'll do it again next year, maybe. I don't. Okay, so this is what's funny because I was about to say no, but when we did the emergency podcast last year where John Walker committed, I felt like I was just being very gloom and doom about it because, well, not even like it was a very cool moment, but he committed and my first takeaway was he's not going to sign here in December. And my second takeaway was even if he does, there's no way this becomes a regular thing for UCF. And Jalen Hayward, just so you know, he's the number five safety in the country. He's a top 80 player nationally. He was committed to Georgia up until a few weeks ago. And I it, listen, it, it's... I'm learning that the way that Twitter works is that no matter who commits to UCF, it's because they weren't a take at the other schools. Like that's always the, uh, it seems like there are actual Georgia fans going, well, he wasn't a take for us. Like, yes, he was any top 100 player is virtually a take anywhere. I think that UCF probably pitched him on getting on the field here faster than if he were at Georgia. Cause obviously at Georgia, they're very stacked, but either way, this is, this is a tectonic one. I, I mean, this is exactly what, the dream scenario was for UCF when they moved to the power five or power four or whatever the hell it's called now was that these guys who used to have to feel like they had to leave the area or leave Florida or wherever to go get up to the, go play at the highest level. They don't have to anymore. And that it's UCF getting the big 12 combined with this insane staff is just that they're doing it. I mean, they're keeping guys that it makes like it, it just the 99% of college football never would have believed that they actually could get. Anytime. Georgia is is interested in, in a defensive player, and UCF I, I, UCF should be interested in that player. And yes. very rarely, re very rarely is it going to be the case where UCF can actually get that player. And this time they did. And it's, I mean, I guess ever since he decommitted from Georgia, like there was kind of some rumblings that you know he was really high on UCF and that was maybe going to happen. But I think even still, it's just kind of like 
this really happened. That's the boat I'm in because so he he's been committed to Georgia for a long time. I don't remember when he initially committed to Georgia, but it was a while ago. And I remember that it was he was a guy that the staff. I mean, I remember reading articles about him like a year plus ago. I think they've been recruiting him for a really long time. And he was a guy that committed to Georgia, but he was still more than in touch with UCF. He was taking visits to UCF. It was clear that he was still very interested in the program. And it was what three or four weeks ago he decommitted from Georgia, and it was like. Okay. And I got very excited. And I, I we talked about it at the time. It was like, okay, this could this could be this could be crazy if he actually comes here. I didn't want to believe it. And then sure enough, it starts coming out in the following days of, oh, you know, it's not a done deal that he's just going to UCF. Miami's really interested. Miami wants to get him in for a visit. Well, guess what, Miami? You wanted a top 100 player and he's at UCF and not Miami. So for now, we'll see. December's far away, but it's we you're you were right, Bailey, because like two years ago, one of our first episodes, we talked about UCF's recruiting potential and you said this was even just off the 12 team playoff and not them going to the power five. You said you thought they could recruit at a much higher level than I did. Even when they got the power of invite, invite, I didn't think they could do this. But the fact that, I mean, Jalen Hayward is what? He's their eighth blue chip prospect in this class. And they might, mm-hmm. we're recording this at 515 on uh, Tuesday, but there's a very good shot. They're also going to get Bradell Richardson, who's another top 300. He's a top 304 star at 6 p.m. tonight when he commits. And that would be their ninth four star in this class. I, I texted you earlier that there, last year there were only 17 programs in all of college football that signed more blue chip prospects than that. I mean, it's <laughs> what they're doing defies logic and reality. And honestly, I'll, I'll just level with you. I don't know how they're doing it because we knew that this could be their potential. We knew that once they got that that Power 5 logo on their t- – I got to stop saying Power 5, not a term anymore. Once they got that Big 12 logo on their chest and especially with this staff, they could recruit well. But I thought that NIL was going to cap it a little bit because we know that NIL has become a big part of recruiting. I don't know if the kingdom is just doing incredibly well. I don't know. I don't know. I truly don't know. Christian, it's that Disney money. It's the Disney money. That's right. That's the big thing on social media of fans who don't know about UCF is they just see this and they're like, wow, Disney is is funding UCF, which like, I'm fine with that. Like, I I always find this funny. I wish. Do you remember when it was two classes ago? It was the first recruiting class where NIL was that NIL was legal for and A&M signed the best class. And everyone Mm -hmm. was like, they're just paying for it and AM fans were like no we're not you can't prove it and i'm just like who cares like who cares if they are paying for it it's not it's not yeah. against the rules anymore like why not pay for it i'd love it if ucf was buying recruits i think that's fantastic yeah no i i think the same thing and like you mentioned there there's potentially another one coming within the next hour maybe and there's yeah. two more that, that ucf got in the last week or so since we recorded our last podcast and that was a former pit commit a wide receiver day day farmer another um, long rumored one yeah, and then four-star running back and top 300 player Frankie Arthur. Which uh, Frankie Arthur came back. out of freaking nowhere. That's a name I heard for the first <laughs> time like a week ago. And then like, I, and then because he was he one of the ones who came to the Night Splash event. I think that's where Might I saw his been. name because I was like, oh, okay. Random running back from Texas school, which I will say the caveat with him is Frankie Arthur and Stacey Gage are both very similarly rated and very similarly built running backs. And I'm kind of surprised they're both in this class, but Stacey Gage has been... Since Frankie committed, he's he retweeted his commitment. He's been liking tweets, doing all the normal stuff. So I guess they're both fine with that. But my God, the two of them and then Tavion in 2025, of all three of those, stick. And Demarcus Bowman still has eligibility after this year. It's like, you see if I don't have to worry about running backs until like 2027. I hope so. I'm I'm not like, I don't know what to think because of the way, and I guess we, we kind of kind of touched on this in past podcasts too. The way that Gus Malzahn usually uses running backs is like he sticks with one and maybe has, has a kind of guy change of pace guy, but he's largely in on one. But if it's Darren Henshaw's offense, truly what's his philosophy with it. We don't necessarily know that. So maybe we'll see that this year and kind of get a glimpse into why, 
because I mean, I, I know a lot of guys like that that are highly rated. They want to come in and they want to be the the one guy at that position in their class. Yeah. So if you're going to get both these guys to stick, we probably are going to see. And I, I feel like if we see this year, uh, RJ and Demarcus Bowman, like kind of just I don't know about splitting carries, but just both getting a good a good dose of playing time, you'll see. Okay, maybe this is how they're going to make it work longer term with all these highly rated running back commits. But I don't. Either way, it's extremely exciting. And Gus is supposedly, we'll see, but he is supposedly totally hands off of the offense now. I mean, this is a Hinshaw offense now. So I a year ago, I would have agreed. We'll see this year. Like you said, I think the barometer is what happens this year with Bowman and RJ because those are two guys that everything we've heard is they're both very good. Yeah, I think so. JRP was saying something, I don't know if it was yesterday in his his, um, post-scrimmage. He just kind of was saying like how great it's been to work with Darren Hinshaw and then he kind of had a throwaway line where he's like, of course, like coach, like Gus is obviously like Coach Gus, whatever he calls him, Coach Malzon is obviously he's like still in there, also working with us. But like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think at practice Gus is just in a rocking chair on the sidelines. Yeah, like, you go <laughs> get him, be. Darren. <laughs> like, that would actually be like Although, a really good vibe in his straw hat. He, I think it'd be a good. He look. would never, he would never go for that after he had to coach from a platform in 2021. You know, he's, he's done that. He's kind of been there and done that with the. One of uh, the weirder things we've just sort of forgotten about that Gus, that Quadric Bullard broke Gus's leg during a game and then he then coached from like an elevated throne for the rest of the season. That's... I don't think I ever saved the picture. I need to, I need to get that visual back. Oh, they're playing on social media. Yeah. Um, find that. But yeah, so this but... move, right, with Jalen Hayward committing, UCF should, the 247 ranking seven updated it, UCF should now have the number one class in the Big 12. If Bridell, Bridell, I'll have to look about Brown's name, if he commits tonight, and you'll know by the time you're listening to this, because there's no way I'm going to get this posted in an hour. Um, then UCF will also have a top 25 class, which is neither of those sentences sound real. I don't think we are giving nearly enough credit to the fact that this team has not yet played a game as a power five team. And they are about to have the number one class in the big 12. Will that stick by December? I don't know, but it, it, it defies logic. And it's almost like we're becoming so almost desensitized to how insane this is. I mean, I mean, it's like a guy like Jalen Hayward picking UCF over Miami, picking UCF over Georgia, not just schools he had offers from, but schools that wanted him badly and they can't pry him away from UCF. I, man, if they, if they're as good on the field as, as they hope to be, I, I mean, this is, this, this could be UCF's moment where they really turn into what we all talked and dreamt about for years that we thought they could be. Yeah. I have, I have two new worries that, you know, I think, back at when college football was a little different and before I, I kind of got so dialed in with all of this stuff, like I would have never thought these were things that I'd be worried about, but I'm worried now about these, all these commits sticking and the class kind of sticking together. And even if one drops off, you know, like I, I want this, as long as this class largely sticks together, I'll be happy, but there's always, always going to be a worry about that until signing day. And the other worry is how UCF is going to keep this coaching staff together. That is the one I'm more worried about than the class. And like yeah. right now, and I don't know anything, but like, I, Cam Martin's not going to be here for very long at UCF. Cam Martin is 26 years old and is collecting four-star running backs like Infinity Stones. Like, I don't understand how he's doing it. So, yeah, I hope UCF's ready. They can't, They already gave – Hinshaw's got an OC title. Herb Hand's got a co-OC title. I'm not sure if you're able to have three co-OCs, but it'd be nice if they could just throw that to Cam Martin and get him a raise because, my God, I, I just – Assistant it, co-OC. <laughs> Assistant <laughs> co-OC. I don't even know. Just give him whatever money you can. I mean, once those Big 12 hits – once those big 12 payouts hit, it needs to go directly to Kenny Martin and directly to Cam Martin. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's insane. They have, they have a great staff together and I just hope that it can, and cause we obviously when then that's when all the stuff hits where like their coach leaves, then a player might transfer. And then you kind of just get to like this, this moment, not that this moment would be taken away from us, but it would just kind of be, I don't know, it, it, down the line, 
if if you see players start to transfer, it's like okay, well, it was it was we'll, we'll somewhat too way. good to be true. Let's say that like just nightmare scenario, UCF loses half of their four stars before signing day. They're still going to sign like four or five four stars. Yeah, like that's how more than classes right now. Than they're way like way more than they're used to. So I'm bummed we have to record right now because there are all kinds of stats I want to look up and tweet. But like I it, I'll wait. Actually, it works out because I'll I'll wait until we'll see if Bradell commits later. Because if he does, like. There aren't a whole lot of teams that sign nine nine blue ship prospects in a class. Period. Um, it, it's it's crazy what they're doing. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, speaking of crazy, I just went to Twitter just to kind of see like what people were saying about you know this commitment, and I see Ross Dellinger 24 minutes ago posted another thing about the ACC, which I guess can get us into our conference. I didn't see that. What did he say? It, it's nothing like he's. It says the expansion conversation in the ACC goes beyond Stanford and Cal. A third school, SMU, is in consideration, sources tell Yahoo. Uh, administrators are expected to review financial models of all scenarios, adding all three or only the Pac-12 too. So, so what, they would just have 17 teams? I, I guess. Or is that just accounting for the fact that FSU is going to find a way out in the next couple of years? <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. I, I really don't know. Um, for a year, SMU has held various degrees of dialogue with several leagues in pursuit to join a power conference, including the Big 12, Pac-12, and ACC. Mustangs are open to foregoing several years of distribution to enter the ACC. Okay, cool. Um, Still, oh, he's got so many more tweets in this thread. This is unreal. Yeah, I'm going through it now. All right, well, let's just talk about, I don't think any of this what directly actually happens. Affects, yeah, I don't think any of this directly affects UCF. I'm scrolling through right now. Um, yeah. It directly affects Oresco, who must just be pulling his hair out at this point that he can't stop losing teams. But uh, by the way, I just yeah. want to say it once again. So we're now at the point where the the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the ACC have now all at least had serious discussions about adding group of five teams in the last two years, and USF has not even come up in a breath for any of them. Even the ACC, I, it just it's it's sad, but also really funny, and I'm gonna enjoy it. But anyway, yeah. Um, so Bailey and I went on a cruise this weekend. Um, yep. And that was really cool. We had a good time, but also like while we were at sea, uh, an 80 year old power five conference died. So that's kind of unfortunate, <laughs> but UCF's benefiting from it. So I I'll just say to start that I have like very legitimate concerns about like where college football is heading at a sport. But as this is a UCF podcast, we'll just talk about it from UCF's perspective and UCF for the first time in its history is on like the kickback with a nice drink, just like Bailey and I on the cruise and watch the fireworks side of realignment, which is definitely a new emotion. Or watch a rocket launch. Just watch it. We saw a rocket launch from the ship too. So we we, we had well, welcome to the Pegasus Podcast, where Bailey and I break down our vacation and don't talk about realignment at all. But the no, Pegasus it, Podcast fan cruise, Pegasus Podcast fan cruise. It was it was a great time. <laughs> but yeah, I I mean, so you know, while we were at sea, um, obviously the Big Twelve added Colorado last week, and then the Pac twelve died, and they've now added Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. I don't know how you feel, Bailey, but it's funny because this is something that we've talked about with varying levels of belief it could happen for more than a year now basically since usc and ucla left brett yormark made it clear this was his goal but it's still actually happening was just kind of like oh wow these teams are like ucf's sharing a league with utah and arizona it's just kind of shocking you know it is really weird and i think like kind of how it all went down was also extremely strange where like it seemed for a little bit like the pac-12 like what was it thursday night so we this is i don't know why we're going to keep tying this into the cruise but Thursday night was the night before we left for the cruise and Arizona's board of regents was meeting, talking about, you know, all this realignment stuff. And we were kind of expecting something to come out of that. And then nothing really did. The next morning it was, oh, actually the PAC 12 might be saved. You know, they're all getting together to vote on this Apple TV deal and it might be all good to go. 
And then Oregon and Washington were like, actually, no, we're here in this meeting to tell you that this is not happening. We're gone. So can I, can I, I'm sorry. Can I interrupt you really quickly? Yeah. Is there uh, another thing coming J- up? Jalen Hayward just tweeted, when are you taking the shirt off at Coach Gus <laughs> Listen, Gus, hey. you do what you got to do. But yeah, yeah. I sorry. I just I saw that and I knew I was going to forget if I didn't interrupt you. But That's yeah, I, so it was Oregon went in that meeting and said, nah, we're. Uh, yeah. So Oregon and Washington gone to the Big Ten, and that was like that was when Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah were all like, okay, all right. Oregon and Washington to. going to the Big Ten on such a dramatically reduced share that like UCF will be making more money in the Big Twelve than they will in the Big Ten for a couple of years, which is. And do, do we still not really know? Because Arizona was kind of up in the air as all this was going on. It's like when they said, "Oh, the Big Twelve or the Pac twelve is going to be saved." We do we still know if Arizona was like part of that? So they're going no matter what Arizona, it sounds like was coming to the big 12, no matter what the last holdout, according to the athletic was Arizona state. Arizona was coming before Oregon, Washington, when Oregon, Washington left Utah, hopped on board, Arizona state still tried after that to see if there was a way to stay in the pac 12. And then their president came out and slandered the hell out of the big 12 after Arizona state had joined and talked about how, oh, the Apple deal was so amazing. And he said, I will not be going to Morgantown. That was a real quote he gave. So um arizona state but i also i didn't know anything about the president but i guess he was the last guy to stand by larry scott too the pac-12's mm-hmm. previous commissioner who if you're not a big college football fan he's kind of the guy whose fault this is he was their commissioner for a long time and took the pac-12 from when in 2011 they signed the richest tv deal in college athletics history and in 2024 they're likely going to disband as a conference so that's how good larry scott's tenure was but my other favorite tidbit on the pac-12 before we talk about how ucf is impacted is i was listening to an athletic podcast about the situation today and they heard. They said they heard from multiple Pac-12 sources that Klyavkov thought the room was going to be thrilled when they heard the Apple deal. Like he did, he did not understand that they were not happy with that deal because he actually thought he could convince them that they were going to get it, the rule. The deal was that if they got five million subscribers, they would match the Big Ten and SEC in revenue. Which, for comparison, I don't think Sunday Ticket even has like I think they have like two million subscribers. Like five million is impossible. I, I it, it's crazy. But anyway, yes. UCF now has many, many more West Coast teams they are sharing a league with, which comes with its pros and comes with its cons. It's such a bizarre league when you look at it. Look at me. When you it look looks at like the a map, fun league, though, man, to be it honest. It does. But when you look at the map and when you look at the matchups, like there is, it, it makes no sense. And we're, because we're all still getting used to UCF, like being matched up against Oklahoma State and Baylor, like on a regular yep. basis. Like those suddenly feel like normal matchups when you consider like UCF, Utah, UCF. Colorado, UCF, Arizona, like those are so strange. UCF, Arizona State's the one I didn't even say, and that feels almost maybe like the weirdest. Just yeah. because, like, I, I can't remember like outside of Jaden Daniels, who's now at LSU. Like, I can't remember the last time I thought about Arizona State before all this. Like, it's just there's. I mean, so when, when they were getting nailed with all these COVID violations from the Herm Edwards tenure, I was reading about okay. them a little bit, but. You know, it's funny because these are also like I talked about how back when it looked like back in the before times of last week when we thought that they were only getting Colorado and maybe getting Arizona. I said how, you know, Colorado is one of the worst power five teams of the last 20 years. Arizona's not far behind. So these are cool additions because it weakens the Pac-12, but it's not necessarily like increasing competition in the Big 12. Well, in the Big 12 does get those two. They also get Utah, who's won the Pac-12 in back-to-back years, has been one of the best power five teams of the last decade. They get Arizona State, who's never very good, but has always had that kind of sleeping giant label. It did just hire a new coach that people really expect to get going. Arizona's two years into a new coach who signed a top 25 class last year and has a five-star committed this year. So it's, listen, the term power five is obviously gone. And I think it's pretty clear that power two most likely is going to be the new term. And UCF fans just have to deal with that. But it's not like, 
Big 12 is getting relegated to G5 status or anything like that. What's clearly happening is that over the next decade, however long it takes the ACC to sort itself out, all the top brands are going to coalesce in the SEC and Big 10. It's going to Clemson will get find a way there. Florida State will find a way there. North Carolina and Virginia, everyone knows they're wanted there too. But what the Big 12 is turning itself into, and this was your mark's genius, was the Pac-12 wanted to catch the SEC and the Big 10. And your mark understood that wasn't possible. And the goal was that of the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, there isn't room for all three and there isn't going to be for long. So they need to focus on that. And that's what he did. And what the Big 12 is going to become is a collection of all of the schools that are just below the cutoff for being the big brands of college football. And that's enough to stay rich, to stay relevant, to stay a part of the system. And it's a really stable conference because it's the perfect mix of schools that are good enough to be competitive and draw TV ratings, but not enough of a brand to attract the eye of the SEC down the road. So it's, it's a good, it's a good stable, rich league. And it's going to be freaking fun because these are 16 teams that are all pretty similar in fan base and excitement for football and, and, and talent and all of that. It's, I mean, it's really, it's a super even league. Very fun for football. It just got even worse for basketball. Yeah. So if well, you thought it was for bad UCF for, and, yeah, mean, if you thought it was bad yeah. for UCF already, now you have to contend with Arizona, who was like one of the four college football or college basketball brands that wasn't already in the Big Twelve. So that's fun. Um, I don't know. I I'm a, I, I tweeted this and I got some pushback, but uh, sucks for you guys because it's going to go my way long term. Is that we eventually the non-revenue sports, anything that's not football and men's basketball, is going to be decoupled from the way the conferences are now because like. It as excited as I am for the Big 12, it makes less than no sense for volleyball to be taking road trips out to BYU or Arizona State or for softball. It does make it does make sense in any of these leagues. It doesn't make sense for the Big Ten for Oregon's teams to be doing that. So I think that and it and it sounds like this is the way the tide is turning that in the next five to ten years, we'll probably see a decoupling where there are more regional leagues for the non-revenue sports. And that makes sense. That that is yeah. the way that should be. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, and I've actually been like, because I, I think you and I were kind of like talking about this a little bit, just like obviously when we were together, um, but it was kind of, I don't know if cool is the right word, but like it was, it was important to see like there were Pac-12 softball players and like players from other, like those non-revenue sports who were speaking up about it saying like, listen, yeah. like I chose to play here because like I wanted my family to be able to travel to games. And now you've got, you know, <laughs> just a player at Washington, their family, if they want to go see them play at Maryland or at like Rutgers and, and Piscataway, New Jersey. Like it's just, none of those road trips make any sense no. rather than when they played, like, when, I mean, they're going to still play Oregon, but like when they played Utah, when they played the California schools, like it's, it's just really weird and, and not, not the best for the non-football sports. No, because you look at football, they play 12 games. They play only nine conference games. They only yeah. five of those at most are going to be on the road. And it's once a week. It's so different from the grind of a volleyball season, the grind of a softball season. And the other difference is that I know, at least in UCF's case, you know, football's chartered flights. It's not, it travels very, you know, it's, it's straightforward. It's comfortable. Like that's not always the case for softball or for volleyball or for the soccer team. They're not always getting those chartered, nice private flights. They might be on commercial and that that becomes a mess. So it's just, it's not tenable long-term and and they need to fix it because honestly, like I said, I'm very excited to see what a lot of UCF's teams can do in the Big 12. But, and I know not everyone who listens really cares about what the non-football teams do, but I do. And a lot of them just have their ceilings lowered with these Big 12 moves because that travel is going to kill them. I mean, it is. And that's the thing is like, we've known forever anyway, that like all these decisions are driven by football. But this was like one of, one of the clearest indicators of that because it's just like the ACC's out here into... having conversations about adding Cal and Stanford. How does that make it makes no sense. Even for football, it almost doesn't make sense. So it's just mm. and I, I've said this on past podcasts when we've talked about travel, but the athletics been doing a really good job. They've written a lot of stories about how 
the Big Ten specifically with USC and UCLA had like they just jumped in for the money and and there have been so many problems of them realizing how logistically difficult it was going to be specifically for the non-football sports to pull that off both financially and everything. And UCF, it's not quite as dramatic because the Texas schools, Cincinnati, West Virginia, Iowa State and the Kansases, those are all in range. It's it's the West trips. It's Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, BYU, Colorado, Texas Tech kind of to an extent. Those are those are tough trips. And and football is going to feel that, too. It, just not to the extent that the other sports are. Yeah. And I mean, there's obviously more like we were just mentioning with the ACC, there's more dominoes to fall there and then it all trickles down. Your mark, I think, said they're done, right? Your, yeah, that, the Big 12 has come out and said they're done. They're they're okay. done. Now, what will change that? And I don't expect this to happen soon because we're still working on figuring out how Florida State had their weird pep rally meeting where they declared they're getting out of the ACC, even though there's no way to get out because the ACC has a grant of rights that lasts to 2036. If and when the ACC crumbles, which is an eventuality, it's just a question of whether they'll find a way out now or have to wait. Um, that'll be when the Big 12 expands again. They'll do exactly what they just do at the Pac-12. They'll sit there and watch Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina and Virginia or whoever go to the Big Ten and the SEC. And they'll say, all right, Louisville, Duke, Georgia Tech, you're up. Come on over. We'll do exactly what we just did and for further cement ourselves with the middle tier brands and be that league. And that... Like I said, college football as a whole don't love that it's moving to just these three mega leagues and kicking a lot of teams to the curb. But at the same time, I I'm, I, I like I said, I'm not going to talk about college football as a whole. Now it's what I'm going to do because there has been a lot of talk from national media that didn't it didn't exist in the past where it's, oh, my gosh, the Pac-12 died. This is horrible. This is the death of the sport. I can't believe we let this happen. And this isn't even this isn't this, this isn't the first time a power conference has died. This isn't the second time a power conference has died. This has happened periodically over the decades. The most recent one was the Big East. The Big East was a BCS conference. There were six power conferences. The Big East collapsed. And just like how Oregon State, Washington, Cal and Stanford got booted, it was Cincinnati, UConn and USF. That wasn't the first time. In the 90s, the Southwest Conference collapsed and died. And some teams made it into what became the Big 12. Some, which it was Houston, TCU, SMU, and Rice got kicked. Those were power teams for decades, for decades and decades. And they got kicked to the curb and had to work their ways back up. I mean, it's just it, it, this current version of it sucks because of how big the conferences are getting and how unwieldy that is. But this this has been happening for decades. Yeah. And it will continue to happen for decades because everything always going to change forever and ever. Um, you see yeah, have... an incredible spot. Like yeah. I, like I just think about any time that I get a little antsy about the travel or I think, you know, this is, this is such an even league. It's going to be tough. And it is. Um, I just think of man, what if they're USF like UCF really, except apparently for SMU with the ACC got the last, last, last lifeboat because you thought the gap between power five and group of five was bad. The gap between these three mega leagues forming and what's the group of five now is horrendous and we have a 12 team playoff on the way with six auto bids which means six conference champions will be represented but it's been reported by dellinger and by espn that now that's being reconsidered because of the pac-12's death so we're gonna have to deal with you know the reality that the future 12 team playoff may not have six auto bids hopefully it still has five but that's my one fear for ucf is i do fear a future where the big 10 and sec start shedding their own dead weight. Like if they say, let's get rid of the Purdue's and the South Carolinas and whoever, and just form a, a, a super league that's over. But I don't know if that's imminent. That's probably like 20 years away if it does happen. So yeah, cross that bridge when we come to it for now, UCF is actually secure in a really good spot in, in college football. And that is not a thing we've ever been able to say before now. Yeah. And I know like with all the ACC stuff, like it's going to keep you know, coming down in the next couple of weeks or so, but like, I'm glad that like, 
Big 12 seems to be done. We're getting closer to kickoff of the, of the 2023 season. Yeah. Just, I, wanna, I, wanna I don't want to do this during this the season, man. Can I say one yeah. more thing about realignment? Yeah. Uh, one more worry I have is I, 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 I was worried about recruiting, and I still am a little bit, but because I remember we heard so many stories about when Gus and his staff got here, and he was like, we're going after the best guys, which is not something UCF had ever done. They'd get guys on campus, highly rated guys, such as like the nine guys they have in this class now, and they would – you know, they, they would say they like UCF. They would talk about how much they love it. And they would straight up say to the coaching staff, I love what you guys are doing here. I'm sorry, but I'm a power five player. And I, I would stay, but I'm a power five player. Cause you guys all know it was like that label just meant everything. And I fear a world not in the not so distant future where the power two becomes that label and players start to think, well, if it's not SEC or big 10, it's not the same. And that's not to say the big 10 would ever be viewed as a G5 cause it won't, but I do worry about that. The only thing I'll say against that, though, is that there are still only so many teams in those leagues. Right. I mean, in the Power five, <laughs> 5 era, there were 65 Power 5 teams in the Big Ten and SEC. Now there's 34. So I don't know if guys are going to be willing to look at Jalen Hayward. So it's a concern. But and I, I'm now I'm just rambling. Now, the other thing I want to say is the Athletic wrote an article talking to all these Pac-12 staffers anonymous, anonymously, like coaches and whatnot, about what happened the last few days. And I thought a really interesting comment was one of them. And it was they didn't say the school, but it was a school that's moving from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. He said he was so excited because they were afraid they were going to lose out on these recruits. And he knows one guy in particular who now that they can show him the big 12 patch, they'll be able to land him. And I'm like, that's hmm. interesting. I, I found that comment really interesting. That is very interesting. And yeah, it's it's going to be weird. You know, now we're heading into a year where it's like all of these, like maybe last time ever matchups and, and the way these conferences are uh, made up, you know, for the last time. And, and it's going to be very weird because all that changes is, is beginning next year. Um, but hey, we still have a season to get to, and it's rapidly approaching. We're just over three weeks until kickoff for UCF. Uh, week zero for college football as a whole is even before that. Um, so we can jump in and, and talk about some fall camp stuff with UCF because there's actually things happening. Players are out on the field playing football, real football, and it's it's all it's all coming coming together. It's no longer the dog days of the summer where there's actually nothing going on on the field. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've got some stuff that we can run um, through. I mean, UCF had their. Can, can uh, I say something now. really quickly? I'm Greg Senke speaking now, so it's just the realignment book uh, continues on. He he's on the Feinbaum show. He said that they're not going to expand anymore, and now he's talking about how sickened he was by what happened in the Pac-12, and he's throwing shade on all the other conferences and says, "quote We are an enormously healthy place." And then he also said that we don't need to be in four time zones to draw a national audience, which is actually kind of a badass comment, even though that's throwing shade directly at UCF's conference and the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean that that's that's cool. Like I I don't know, that's actually a good good quote. Listen, other than I'm, all I'm that, like say, whatever. I'm just gonna say one more thing. This isn't the SEC's fault. This is the Big Ten's fault. Because at the end of the yeah. day, Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC did make sense geographically, culturally, brand-wise, monetarily, it fit. USC and UCLA to the Big Ten made no yeah. goddamn sense. It was just a pure we'll get more money doing this play. And everything that's happened since then was is due to the Big Ten being insane. So I'm actually not mad at the SEC for any of I'm this. Not, I'm not mad at the SEC. I'm not like it's not their fault, but also Greg Sankey, shut up. Like I don't care what you have to say about any any of this. So. Listen, how much worse would it have been if he came out and was like, "We're looking, we're looking around"? It would have <laughs> a been a lot like, worse. He's like Stanford. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> so I guess before we move on to all the fall this all fall camp stuff, like so, if they're not looking to expand, where's FSU trying to go? Okay, so this is what's and I, I we've been texting about this a lot, and like Dellinger's been saying it, Family's been saying it. FSU is all beating their chest like we're going to leave the ACC. It's not clear that anyone wants them. Like, it's not. Like, the SEC, 
because the thing that you have to understand about the way the TV markets has shifted is ESPN does not just have money to throw around anymore. And for ESPN, they're basically what from ESPN's perspective, if I am ESPN as a person, you know, like I ESPN is personified as me, I would be saying I currently pay 30 million a year for FSU's home games. Why would I put them in the SEC to pay double that? I'm I, I have the games either way. Why why would I be willing to pay twice as much for the same games? It, it doesn't make sense. No one wants them. No, it's literally the meme like who want me, and it's hundred percent no. <laughs> like it's, that's literally what it is. I that don't is literally FSC where, these days. I, don't know I get it. They've won all these national championships. They're one of the biggest brands in college football, and they're shut out of the two conferences that have all the brands. That's that make me mad too. But also, you can do nothing about it. So I hope you enjoyed your board of trustees <laughs> pep rally. Now sit down. But anyway, all yeah. right. Now, now onto actual football and not stupid off-field grant of rights talk. Oh wait, hold on. Uh, Never mind. Mark speaking right now. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I swear to God, I was like, why? About what? Um, no, so so UCF had their first scrimmage on Sunday, um, which is it's just it was good to like actually get some thoughts from Gus Malzahn, from John Rice Pummy on actual football stuff, as I said. Um, and I just don't know, I have a list of like a bunch of random things that like came up in press conferences, all that kind of stuff. I feel like we got um, more out of the pressers than we usually do, which is surprising. I think it's because they've talked so much lately. Maybe like they had the big 12 media days then they had like their UCF media days last week. And then they had right after that, like Gus had to talk again for the after. No, but I mean, so like just... I, the pressers usually is Gus and Gus still didn't give it some, but usually it's just, oh, you know, Gus comes up and talks about how they got good information and the players come up and talk about how good the team looks. And that's the press conference. And instead we're out here, like multiple guys are explaining why Corey Gamage is a bus. <laughs> like they're giving us like <laughs> explanations on who's yeah, rotating. They've just had, they've just had more opportunities to talk. So it's like, they're just bound to say something. And it's just like was, you get enough time. This was yeah. what we got. Okay. So since you min- min- mentioned the Gamage thing, let's start there. Um, I guess both Gus Malzahn and John Rice Plumley were talking about how Corey Gamage needs to get in better shape. And it wasn't like a, like, Oh, he's like fat and out of shape. It wasn't like that, but it was just like, be, I think they were asked about him. They're like, "Oh yeah, like he's looking good. Um, you know, obviously he has a lot of talent. They're like he needs to get in a little better shape. Um, but that'll come around. Like, and and I, from guys, it made sense a little bit. So it's like, okay, like yeah, fo- football shape. They always want the players. But then when JRP said it, because he was just asked about the the receivers. I think he might have been asked about um, the guys. He might have been. I think it was something about Javon and uh, Kobe or the guys behind Javon and Kobe. And he was like, "Yeah, Xavier Towns is looking really good. I'm really proud of him." Blah blah. blah. And he's like. Corey's looking good. You know, he's getting a little bit better shape, but I was like, what? I mean, without knowing the answer, he was probably just gassed very early into practice and has been. I mean, I I was looking at his hit, which by the way, great start to my pick for transfer of the year, like going awesome for me already. But (laughs) you look at he, so he left Marshall in January. He then committed to Memphis. Then he flipped his commitment from Memphis to Purdue. He never reported to Purdue. And then he flipped to UCF. So I don't believe he went through spring ball anywhere. And he may, I, I mean, who knows if he was keeping himself in shape or not. Even if he was, he hasn't had a legit football practice in like seven months, apparently. So that that makes sense. And I don't know if he'll, what scares me is is three weeks is not a lot of time to get in game shape if you're getting called out like that. And on top of that, I guess we can move into next Townsend is apparently taking the leap. So maybe Gamage is not what we were hoping for. And I don't know how many years of eligibility he has left either. So that might've just been, I mean, I'm way going off the rails off of a literal couple comments from a presser, but now I'm like, maybe that's a bust. I don't know. I think I think it'll be fine, honestly. Like I, all the all jokes aside, like I think even if it takes him a little bit longer to get back in like game shape and football shape, like I think he's still going to make an impact this year. It might not ha- might not happen in Kent State, might not happen for Boise yeah. State, but and that's a good thing about them having the depth that they have, including Xavier Townsend, who I, I think bef- even before 
Gus and JRP talked about him. Like you could kind of they posted they always post these little highlights and you kind of like break it down second by second. One of the ones had Townsend in it, and he just looks like he hit the weight. He looks hard. huge, man. I mean, yeah. um, I confused so him. Mean, with, I confused him with Lee Hunter for a second. <laughs> Gus, because they asked Gus about him, Gus was like, "Yeah, he's a veteran now." I was like, "Well, I mean, kind, no, kinda. I mean, <laughs> no. yeah, he, he was like, he was like, he came in last year as a true freshman, obviously, and you know now he's up to as, as he knows this." And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess he's one year older, but I don't think call a sophomore a veteran." I know I'm I'm still a young guy, obviously, but like I don't like the idea of someone who's like eight years younger than me being referred to as a veteran. Like that's just a, <laughs> a solid reminder of how how quickly time is going by. But I that's kind of funny to me. I mean, I don't know. I I know I just do know he's not a veteran. <laughs> he was a true freshman. But I, it um, is exciting to hear about Townsend doing well because a that was a huge flip from conference rival Iowa State, even though we barely knew that at the time. And and getting him there was a lot of hype when UCF landed him late in the class and and this is this is the benefit of playing guys as true freshmen is it's not always pretty Townsend had some games and some reps that weren't awesome last year but he earned getting on the field and when you get those true freshmen out there early it just pays dividends in such a huge way we see that over and over and over again and I, you know we talk so much about Gamage or Whittemore or Magwood I'm, I'm Townsend might just come in and start and that's exciting because I think he has a ton of potential yeah I mean uh, it's it's interesting when you look at the depth chart because we talk about how they're stacked at wide receiver. Like, it's just crazy because I mean, JRP said, "No, what, what else is he going to say?" We, we're doing the thing like a little bit where it's like they say something in a press conference, and we just like that's all we have to go off of, really. Um, but apparently, Javon's having a really good camp, and that doesn't really surprise me. Um, and I think you know, Kobe. It sounds like I mean, Kobe's probably having a good camp too. But like Townsend and Kobe are probably going to be fighting for the number two wide receiver spot. I know Kobe's become one of the leaders this offseason, I think. Of, of the offense but you've got those two guys you've got Townsend and the guys that you just mentioned like it's nice to have four or five options then you add in the tight ends and then I mean Jalen Griffin got a shout out from John Rice Plumley also okay. randomly I don't care um, I'm not I'm not Tyree Patterson also did when he was asked like which who are some of the young guys I feel and like I've been waiting for Jalen Griffin to pop off for my entire life so I'm just I'm, I'm out well, who was who was it before that um it was uh oh no um, that's gonna bother me I, I literally just can't think of his name. We talked about this e- on many every uh, year. Oh, it's Kavan Ahmad. Kavan Ahmad. Oh yeah. man, Kavon, every year he was, transferring. Oh, yeah, he's gonna. It's gonna happen for him, and then it never. But did. you know, Tyree Patterson already turning heads. That's huge too, because maybe he can be a guy like how Townsend was last year, where we see him a little bit and he gets on the field, and that's enough to help him take a leap next year. And you know, so yeah. I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm I'm obviously fine with hearing that a <laughs> freshman is doing. <laughs> that's well. okay with me. Like I said, I'll I'll, I'll be okay with that, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I texted you because I'm trying to not – I'm doing the stupid thing that they want us to do, and I'm trying to not where it's like I listen to the pressers and they talk about how good everyone looks and I get excited. And it's like they're they're not going to go – like JRP is not going to go up there and be like, man, practice sucked today. Like we – this team is not good. Like I, I hope we beat Ken. I, I Like they're always just going to be like, yeah, people look great. And when you ask them who stood out, you'll get information that way, but they're never going to be like – they're like, who stood out to you? And he'd be like, badly? Uh, you know, Josh Sheliscar had a bad day. Like, you don't get anything like that, so you don't know. But I just, you look at the offense on paper, which is what you want to look at, as we've said many times. It's a joke. And this offense, if JRP has taken a leap, like it seems like he may have. If the receivers are as deep as we think they are. If tight end is as secure as it looks with Alec Holler and with Randy Pittman coming in as a true freshman. If the O-line is as deep as Herb Hand keeps saying it is and Gus is, keeps saying it is. And we know what we have at running back. It's suddenly like, oh, hey, could this offense just freaking start blitzing other teams? Like, is this just going to be like, uh, is this just going to be an incredibly electric offense? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe we'll get out there and JRP will throw a pick on his second throw against Kent. I'll be like, oh, right. I forgot. But 
I don't know. I'm getting I'm getting badly excited, which isn't good. I mean, I'm getting I'm both getting badly excited for the season and also like sticking to my like I, I've said I think since it was my been before the schedule came out, it was like go be bowl eligible and I'll be happy. I've stuck to that. So shout out to me for for all of that because normally around this time of the year, it's like, yeah, they're probably gonna win the conference. What if UCF um, just wins like 11 games? What if, what if they go like 11? What if they do? That's the thing that's bothering. Like that, that intrusive thought just keeps popping. It's like, what if they are just really good? What if, they, what like, if they win the Big 12? Like, what, but they, here's they're the not thing. going to, but what if, they, what if they do? And maybe this just makes me sound like a P5, P4. But I, wow, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I swear I'm not going to spend the it's whole take podcast a while. correcting it. It's going to take a long time. I, I don't want to just sound like a power conference homer, but like this, if, and it, this, it, this totally doesn't make sense because this team wouldn't be here if it were the case. But like, if this team was still in the AAC, they'd win every game. Like I, I'm <laughs> fully confident in that, like barring something. I mean, you never know what going undefeated is hard, but like, man, they would. So now it's just time to see to what that translates to at the power level. I don't know. I, but it, it, truth be told, it, he, here's where it's all going to go wrong. Let, let me bring you, let me bring you all back down to earth with me is here's where it's all going to go, go wrong um the secondary like i just named a lot of things about the offense the defense we have no idea what the secondary looks like linebacker we hope it's good but we don't really know and on top of that a p5 grind is tough as is but this big 12 is there are no off weeks there's no game you're going to play against a boston college or a syracuse or a whoever or an oregon state that was a terrible example as oregon state went 10 and 3 last year but you know what i mean and that's going to wear them down guys are going to get hurt guys are going to get banged up and i don't think they have p5 depth yet so that's where that'll be their Achilles heel as the season goes on. Gus keeps saying they do. He can say it all he wants. I don't think they do. Um, um, I, I, I they love do at some wrong. positions, but they not other positions. Running back, they do. O-line, I think they do. Uh, wide receiver, line, wide I, receiver do. I don't think so. I don't know if they do it. I don't know. I'm hesitant to say for D-line. I think they've got a really good starting unit and got a couple guys they can rotate, but linebacker, they don't. Secondary, I'm not even sure they have a G5 one yet. We'll have to see. Um quarterback they sure don't so no they absolutely don't quarterback okay we'll go to the quarterbacks next um for the scrimmage all quarterbacks went live except for jrp who gus has absolutely just changed to start he's calling him jr that's that's what we call him now i don't understand where that came from and i'm not and i think you know where it came from is all last year gus said was calling him john rice so he just decided to shorten that and so i think he was probably like all right if this has to be my quarterback for another year i'm not gonna keep calling him john rice because that's just too much to say let's go with jr one of my favorite P is too much to say too. So let's just do JR. One of my favorite Plumley things was from last year in that interview JRP did. He said that after in and in, in practice after games that he played well and he's John Rice to Gus. And after bad games, he's number 10. <laughs> <laughs> I found that really funny. But um just as I'm continuing to live to what to live podcast Sankey's press conference, he's now this is this is what this is what scares me. He's talking about how they need to take a step back and reconsider the playoff format they just approved and blah 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 and dellinger reports that they've talked a lot about a lot of ideas including maybe not even going to 12 and going down so cool never Stunning change college the football. sec commissioner wants to cut off access to other program other conferences that aren't the sec listen if i think dropping to f- and dellinger said this is a model they've considered dropping to five automatic bids is fine if seven yeah. at large spots is not enough for you like give me a break like i i come on i don't know what we're doing at that point they won't stop until it's just an SEC because playoff. the SEC, Vanderbilt is in as the Cinderella team. At the, but that's what scares me. Like I, that's genuinely what scares me long term because I think that is what the SEC wants is they just want to be college football eventually, and they might in ten years or twenty years. But I mean, come on, you'll have yours. One of the auto bids will be an SEC team. They can get three or four 
of the auto bids most year, maybe even more. It's like, how much of your league do you think deserves to be in? You really think like the ninth best team in the SEC should be in a play? Like, come on. I just, it's insane. It's pissing me off. Um, but yeah, I mean, so Gus said that all the, all the quarterbacks except for JRP went live and he said he loved, I guess, like what that did for the defense is it actually allowed them to tackle a little bit and it allowed them to kind of can finish plays and he said it was really good for the quarterbacks to I was gonna say that feels like more of a a good thing for the defense than the the offense if that makes sense yeah well he did say it was funny he did say like it's it was good for the quarterbacks kind of like not good for them to take sacks but like for for there to be sacks and like know what it feels like to be in the pocket and be under duress and actually like play in a live situation which I understand especially the younger guys I mean or guy I guess it's just Rizik I don't know how old Xavier Williams is or anything like that but I think he's pretty young well, um, I mean, honestly, they this is good though because they know QB one, and this it, it'll be. We saw last year that Gus doesn't know how to pick a quarterback when they don't go live, so this will help him make the decision <laughs> for QB two. When when would he have been tackled here? That um, was that was seriously the most insane presser I've ever seen in my life. When Gus is explaining how he picks JRP over Mikey, and he said he would look at the tape and try to imagine in his head where he thought they would have been tackled in the not live scrimmage, and I just <laughs> wow. But anyway, great. water under the bridge. It worked out sort of um on to the next season yeah um what else do we have here we have let's stick on the offensive side of the ball i think this is the last thing oh i have two more things in the offense um that they have three centers rotating so far um i think they know most of the offensive line but there there's um a rotation of centers for now and drake metcalf and bula schmidt who are two incoming transfers and then caden kittler um who is a, a younger guy which i kind of like he hearing just came that in cause... two classes ago Class of 21, so. yeah. Um, I kind of like hearing that because it kind of makes me think maybe they're not going to have to, you know, go in for a, a transfer on this at, at this position every year. That would be that nice. They did it in the past, but like, actually, I think Bula might have more eligibility. And Metcalf does too. They all have. They all oh, Metcalf have. does too. Yeah, I thought Metcalf was a grad transfer. He. He he got a degree from Stanford, but I don't think he's a grad transfer. I could be totally off base. I swear he has two years. I hope oh, I'm not wrong. On well that. then, don't wow, quote me yeah, on that because I, I I can't I can't look it up right now. But either way, um, it's just it, no, it is absolutely a good thing to have. I, it's just nice to hear about guys from the 2021 and 22 classes that are because this is the thing about recruiting. Like right now, we're so excited about Jalen Hayward. Like I don't know how much we're gonna feel Hayward's impact until like 2025. Like it's just so it's cool that. These guys we talked about so much over the last 18, 24 months, you're now hearing about them starting to really show up, show off in practice and get there. So, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing, last thing for the offense was uh, Gus and JRP both saying the offense needs to play faster. Um, and he was, I mean, I think Gus made a mention of like them just, or maybe it was, it was JRP who said like they kind of just need to all kind of get into better, better shape in terms of getting up off the ground after plays, getting back to the ball, lining up, you know, quickly and playing it with, with more speed and, Makes me wonder, like, how quickly they're going to go. Apparently faster than I thought, because I knew they were going to up the tempo, but I didn't. Th- I mean, they're disc- they're talking like how they would talk under Heupel, how they talk under Frost. Yeah. I wonder if UCF really did two years of not going fast and was like, okay, we're just going to go back to that. I do think this is being spurred by the clock rules are changing this year. They're yeah. sort of they're sort of going to the NFL rules where it does talk uh, about that. Yeah, the clock no longer stops for first downs. It still is going to stop inside two minutes of each half, I believe, but. I will say, though, because it seems like I saw him talk about it and he seems really like determined to go fast to beat that. And when they changed the rules, the research the NCAA put out, it was like that each team is going to lose an average of like four plays a game or something from it. So I don't know why he thinks that that's something they need to heavily account for. But I like fast football. I think it keeps defenses off balance. I thought it worked UCF's advantage very well 2016 to 2020. 
So I'm not opposed if they can pull it off. Cause that's the thing is it's the stuff he's talking about is it's not, it's not like a team just decides one day we're going to play fast. It's like, you do have to drill that because it isn't, it is a whole different animal from playing at a normal tempo. Yeah. Um, there was a lot more offensively. And I think part of that was because they talked to John Rice and um, actually, I don't know. They might've done a defensive press conference too. I wasn't able to, to catch it if they did. Um, but from the defensive side of the ball, we got the the fact that from the scrimmage, the defense had two turnovers. Didn't say who, didn't say if it was the first team offense that turned the ball over. We don't know. Um, but two turnovers. That's There's no such thing said. as good news coming out of a scrimmage. There's no yeah. such thing. Cause any I good thing even said thing. that. Yeah. He was like, we turned the ball over twice, which isn't, which isn't good, but he's like, well, it's good for the defense. And it's like, you know, it's always just. That's the thing. Any well, good thing is a bad thing. There's no just, yeah. I mean, unless, unless like your kicker making his kicks. I don't know. Like that's pretty much yeah. all you can go off of. Um, and he did say like that they're, they're putting a heavier focus on trying to get after the quarterback. So that kind of goes back to what we talked about with the overs and unders and sacks, where I feel like they're going to blitz a little more and put a little more pressure on the quarterback, which is good to hear. And um, I still, my, yeah. my conspiracy theory is they know the secondary is bad. And they're like, if we don't get to that quarterback, like if we yeah. give them time, this is not going to go well. It's at least possible. Um, then the one player on the defense that we've heard a lot about so far is Lee Hunter, who apparently is in better shape and you know, is well-conditioned and he's having a great camp so far. And that's exciting to hear. That's very like exciting because he has a super high ceiling and he was really good last year. It was just not always, you know, kind of, he had, he had the Corey Gamage problem a little bit, I guess you could say. And it's, yeah. you know, that's what we're going to call out from now on. And do you remember, was it him? Didn't he save UCF from getting a penalty at one point? Like in Mem- the Memphis game? Didn't he like pull who somebody did he, back? He, pulled, he lifted another player yeah. off the ground. I don't remember who it was, but that's like my, like Lee Hunter, I think had a, had some some good plays oh, last man. year. Like, why is that the Lee Hunter highlight? That it was someone was year. trying to like start a fight or was getting into it with another player. And Lee Hunter just grabbed him, picked him up like a rag doll and was like, no, no. And just, God, I don't remember who it was, man. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. But um, the last thing I have here is um, Gus was asked about how, how much air travel they're going to have. And I guess this is even more um, pertinent for future years because of the expansion. But um, you know, they're traveling a lot. They have the trip out to Boise state. And he said that they're working on becoming a tighter, like a closer team, like a tighter knit team. Um, because that will help in terms of the the long road trips and, and being together for that much time. And they want to be the most prepared team for end of game situations. He said, in these environments they're playing on the road, it's typically going to come down to like the fourth quarter and, and to late game situations. So I guess they're drilling that in pretty heavily. Um, which sounds good to me. I mean, I, I would the, like for them to be prepared for those situations. The close team part is especially poignant in the wake of UCF posted their latest. Um, oh man, I'm forgetting what the series is called. The 12 for 12 series. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, I think so. Yeah. 12 for 12. And it was an oral history of the 2017 season where they talked to, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not read it, I promise you, you should go read it. It's very long, but it's very, very incredible. It's got, Milton and Frost and Kalubiali and Shaquem and all these guys just talking so candidly and openly about the season. There was stuff in there that I had never heard before. And 2017 was like my, probably that was like my peak of being informed on the team. And there was stuff in there I'd never heard in my life. So it's incredibly interesting read, but you and I both came away with the same thought that, you know, I'm reading about how they're talking about how close the team is and, you know, different like examples of that and things that happen. And I'm just like, I don't remember you texted me first. If I text you first, but I was just like, that's what we haven't seen these past few years. Is it? And, and I get it. It's not a lot of teams have that. It's a part of what made that team so special, but it felt like that 2017, 2018 era, the leaders graduated, new guys didn't step up and UCF's kind of been in a little bit of a culture rut there since then. And I don't think the culture is bad. I just don't think they've had that 
this is a brotherhood, this is a bond, well, the soccer team has, but this is a brotherhood, this is a bond of, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're in this together and for each other. I just, I just haven't seen that these last few years. And maybe that's not a thing anymore in the NIL era. I don't know. And if it isn't, so what? Because it's that's not just an issue for UCF, but I really hope that is something they're working on because culture, it, it, it's on that article. It's like culture is what makes a difference in these moments. I, the one moment that stood out from the oral history was the SMU game in 2017 that SMU gets the ball back and UCF's really in danger of losing and the SMU stadium starts playing Usher and UCF's defense just starts dancing and it gets in SMU's head and it's like, what the hell is this? And I don't remember. I don't remember if if that was a thing at the time. I don't remember seeing that video, but Shaquem danced his ass off. I I don't really, I don't think I ever heard about it until that. Like, I don't, I don't know if the TV didn't show it. I remember that off season afterwards, but I don't know if at the moment we ever knew that. Shaquem danced like he was a backup dancer at like the, at the, an award show or something. It was, it was incredible, but it was like, SMU's quarterback must have been shaking watching that. (laughs) Like, I just, good Lord. It's that thing where like the, the brotherhood, like the bond and also just that edge, like that, like that team had so much swagger to it for lack of a better term. They were good and they Um, freaking knew they were good. They, and they played like it. So we've got another boom in on on, coming as we talked about. Is it Bradell? I would imagine so. If it's not, then we're being thrown for a loop here, but. All right. Let me double um, check that it's Bradell so I can get my. I think that was the end of what we had to talk about for for um yeah it's Bradell. okay let me see you guys this is the power of drafting <laughs> tweets now what's great nope, is that's the that, wrong one hold on wait what's great is that we do a video podcast now and both of us are just like staring down at our phones instead of actually looking at each other looking at the camera hold on um, yeah four-star wide receiver Bradell richardson committed to ucf and with his commitment they are in the top 25 of the on three industry team ranking recruiting rankings i only been reading that because that's the first tweet i saw no i screwed up um, my tweet oh man hold on hold on what have hold you on. done okay we're all right fine. guess we're i'm just gonna it. carry this from here you this is this is really news? bad podcasting unless you're well here now you guys will get this is like a behind the scenes look at my twitter account is that i drafted that tweet earlier today but i thought he was going to commit before hayward so i have the wrong number in my tweet <laughs> sixth did you already tweet it or do you have to delete it i deleted it <laughs> um, oh man whoever saw that is getting a getting a show um this is see this is why we did the video podcast is for moments like this where you can see me put my hands on my head and freak out when i realized that i had an do you want me to go into the the news and yeah can you we'll please while i figure this out yeah go for it okay all right we've got a bunch of the watch lists um coming out jason johnson was named to the nagruski trophy watch list Lokahi Paule named to the Outland Trophy watch list and Colton Boomer to the Lou Groza Award watch list. A um, couple more, I believe. Yeah, Corey Gamage to the Bletnikoff Award watch list. Apparently they were not up and up on whether or not he's in shape or not. <laughs> I don't know. I was actually kind of surprised to see him over Javon. I know he was Marshall's leading receiver last year. Um, and there was, you know, a, a lot of fanfare around him, but kind of surprised to see him and not Javon. I got the tweet. Um, I got the tweet up. I'm glad. Thanks. Congrats. Congrats. I, everyone could everyone watching the video podcast knows that before you said I got the tweet up, you just gave a thumbs up. So I'm um, telling you guys, the video podcast is it, it, it's something. It's, it's things you can only it. things you can only give this podcast if you're watching the version on YouTube. Subscribe uh and unsubscribe and then subscribe again. Unless you are like helps. me and you listen to your podcast while driving, in which case I would not recommend the YouTube version. You know what I do? It's a really podcast. dumb thing, but like even some of the podcasts that I like to normally watch on video. I, if I'm driving, listen to, I'm listening to it while driving. I'll still put on the YouTube version. I won't look at it because I'm a safe driver, but I still put the YouTube version on. That's interesting. I don't know why. I, I oh, really don't. Cincinnati just dropped the new uniforms. Too many things are happening. Um, okay, but we don't care about that. Um, I do. We got more, more uh, news to get to. Cam Martin, who we talked about earlier, was named to 
the 30 under 30 uh, list by 247, which further evidence that he probably needs a raise and or will be gone sooner rather than later. He's 26 years old, and he, like you mentioned earlier, he's just recruiting like crazy um, for UCF and makes – I'm sure you said it makes you feel like you haven't accomplished anything. I have about, I think, seven more months to catch up to Cam Martin, but it's not looking good for me. Um, So we'll see. Um, Former UCF offensive lineman Cole Schneider signed with the Packers. And I'm jumping all over like our outline here. Um, So I'm kind of missing some. No, I'm not. Oh, I missed one of the watch lists. Uh, John Rice plumbing his name to the Davey O'Brien watch list. And then the final thing, um, the UCF fans wear for 2023 – do you remember when we were on our cruise and I told you, oh, they finally did the black and white? I was completely wrong. I just didn't read it, right? I just looked at the colors. So they're still doing the whole, you know, where for the military appreciation game, where USA themed, whatever. Just, it, I don't know. We're it was closer. still mostly, it was still, there we're wasn't any like. the black and white. I mean, you remember in 2016 and 2017, they would try to like the upper deck will do gold and they're like, yeah, they're, they're getting there. Bit by, year we're by getting, year, year by year, they're getting there. We're getting closer. I just, next year, when I've said this a million times, I, I want them to not release this. I want them to say, hey, if it if a game kickoff, a kickoff time is announced and there's a day game, wear white. And if it's a, a night game, wear black. It just makes so much more sense. But hey, maybe there's a reason they don't do that. And it's one of those things where it's like, why can't you make the end zones black? And then we get told, you know, this is why. And then they did it anyway. No, I don't, there, I, I don't care. I will say right now, there is absolutely no justification and or reason that they can't just say we're black for night games. I, I wouldn't think so. There's nothing like the, like the oh. field. Even when we said the field thing, I was like, there could be some element we're not considering. There is no element to why they can't just say like, like well, for the military game, wear red, white and blue. Really? <laughs> like you really want this the crowd to wear red, white and blue? Is it just because they want to sell like the UCF American flag merch? I that okay so that's what I can mind my mind too is is it's a sell merch and all I can say to that is no one not a single soul in that 45,000 seat stadium is going oh man it's the red white and blue game and running to the bookstore to buy it like give me a break you're I, buying I'm the red white and blue UCF merch already if you buy yes. you're buying it so I don't know anyone anyway, who would through. care that much is buying the merch either way so it's fine let me get through the list uh Kent State wear white Villanova wear USA apparently <laughs> um <laughs> baylor wear white um west virginia black oklahoma state space U. that's the one that i will you know that's sure. fine like, yeah because there is like wear the citronaut stuff wear dress like an astronaut dress like i don't know you're in star wars like whatever you want to do like that's that's the one where it's like okay maybe not black or white just do the space stuff um and then houston is black uh wear black and then for all away games of course it's wear black um, so we have to wear black when we go to Cincinnati. So I'll say, and I'm actually looking at it, I, I take it back. It is just all black and white. USA isn't wear red, white, and blue. It's just USA. Yeah. <laughs> it just says, it says USA. I was looking at like the background of each game. It was like black or white. And I was like, oh, good. Like they actually did this. But then I realized that's pretty much, they pretty much it. did though. That, pretty I'm, much. I'm fine with this. I'll make my piece. Which, this is good. I take back my rants. I hadn't actually looked at the list. I just gone from what Bailey said. But it's still not like, it's still fine. not what we said. It's, it really is, though. <laughs> like, there's only two games that aren't, and they're not even where this. It's just basically a declarative phrase. <laughs> yeah, but we don't. It's not, it's not based on day or night. It's, it's so that's that's the. Only oh, thing I, I that is a good point. I forgot. That yeah. is also true. As we said, white for day, uh, but, day for night, not day for night, black for night. Yep. Light mode, day day mode. Um, yeah. So we are um done with the news. There was a lot to get. I mean, it's going to continue to do that each week as we get closer to kickoff. But we now jump into tweet of the week. 
Tweet of the Week. Instead of Tweet of the Week, I want to make it up to our listener, Luke, and actually go through my list of the top three games that I have been to and the worst three games I've been to. I just could not focus on that earlier because of the Jalen Hayward news, but now I've calmed myself and we're back. So my bottom three games I've ever been to are, it's funny that all of them are from the last few years, which it, it, which is kind of funny since it's been a great era, but 2015 Furman, that was a no-brainer. 2015 FIU, which I actually left early, which is that was my first ever game in the student section as a student because I'd always gone to UCF games with my parents growing up because we had season tickets for a very long time. And I UCF was down by like a score. And like I my new college roommate who I was sort of like went to the game with was like, I'm hungry. We should go get food. And I was like, okay, like, yeah, that's, you know, they're going to win. I mean, it's FIU. They'll drive down the field here. And then I remember we're at what's the one next to the stadium called the like student meal place. Burger U. No, the student meal one. Oh, Nitros. Nitros. Yeah, we're at Nitros and I have my phone out. And it's like UCF lost. <laughs> I'm like, I well, think. that's not good. Um, And then I had 2022 Navy on mine because that was, it was everything around that game. It was the belief that they were going to steamroll to 10 and 2 and near 6, all that. Best what you three, said on the podcast leading up to it, all that. All that just stuff. me personally, <laughs> rough time in the press box. Mikey coming out and being able to do nothing. It was just, it was not good for me. Yeah, top three, 2017 Peach. That felt like the obvious one. That was incredible. Like, I, it's funny how much you how much you realize things have changed. Like, I remember being at that game, and when UCF was up at halftime, I was like, we did it. We proved the doubters wrong. We're up. Like, I'm serious. And that it's like, yeah. you just don't realize how much perspective has changed since then. The game day game was incredible. I that That's my number two. It was just, it, it wasn't the most important game in UCF history. It wasn't the best on-field game in UCF history, but I that environment was unbelievable the and reason third, go ahead oh so go ahead i would say the reason i didn't put that game on my list is because like being like game day itself and then like the I, I don't remember much from the game all i remember is like the two early penalties that cincinnati got the atmosphere as a whole i actually remember the game pretty well i don't remember it that well so remember that's why i didn't put it on my list i just but, remember like the day the day and experience as a whole was a top experience for me but like it's not one of the top games I've been to in person. No, there were cool moments. Some of them were bad. Like uh, Milton got sacked to the end zone. And since That's the one play I remember. Uh, but then the remember block kick, I think. the block kick. There was the play where De- Ritter got beat up on. There was the play where Ritter goes to throw the ball. And I think it was Jasinski who literally just takes it out of his hand while he's going to throw it. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, no, you should you go with my legs. It was a good game. Um, mm-hmm. And then my final top three was 2007 Texas, which, as I said, I don't remember super well since I was 10. But ha, I was there and I get to brag about it. So, yeah, the end. I mean, I was... Obviously, you have like more to draw from, I think. Well, I have I more think, to draw yeah. from. And then literally almost every single game I picked was from your era of being a UCF. Fan. Yeah. But part um, of that is like, I just, it's like, I remember, it's like you just remember games better when you're older. Like, I went to a lot of yeah. UCF games that like I don't remember super well because I was eight or nine or 10 or 11 or whatever. But well, the only other one I almost considered from farther back putting on the list was, um, I almost, I, think, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but like, I kind of became a fan. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, that's cool. We just had technical difficulties and I can't cut since we do a video version now, but it's fine. And uh, yeah, the, the only one I can almost considered putting on was um, 2013 Houston. Uh, that was a really, really, mm. really fun game and terrifying. Yeah. So <laughs> what I was going to say was like, I if I, I really wanted I said... if I really wanted to brag, I should have put for worst. I should have put 2014 Ireland and been like, oh, yeah, being there in <laughs> Ireland, it was just so difficult. Yeah, it's tough. Um, Mr. Diamond <laughs> member over here. Um, OK, but. No, what I was going to say was, I, I don't know if I said on the podcast or not before, but I kind of became a fan in 2011 because that's when my brother went off to college at UCF. And that's kind of when we became like aware of what UCF was. And I was like, oh, my brother's there. Like, I'm going to be a fan of this team. But I didn't actually go to my first game until um, 2016, the opener against SC State for all the first frost, all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I had, I had the 2016 to now era to draw from, but 
it's crazy to me that in all those years, obviously 2017 and 18, they didn't lose um, 2020 or 2019, 2020. They didn't lose any home games. So like I didn't have any draw from there, but just for two to be last year is, is rough. Yeah. That, that Very Navy difficult. game, I, the more, the further we get away from it, the more I look back and I'm like, that might've been one of the worst losses in program history. Like j- just so- because <laughs> of all the outside stakes and how they were cruising to being the New Year's Six team, and just it couldn't beat Navy for the second year. It's hitting me. It's hitting me now. That's the last time I was in that stadium. Yeah, that's the most recent home game, and it, it was a great. Yeah. Okay, I will say though, and I said this on the podcast at the time, and I caught a little bit of heat for it, but I remember even early in that game, I was surprised by how subdued the bounce house was. The I don't know what was going on that day. If it was just because it was hot or not a very good opponent, but the bounce house wasn't its normal rocking self, and I don't really know why. I, I have no idea. It was Maybe. eleven a.m. It was an 11 a.m. Okay, that might be part of it. Yeah. That might be part of it. That's a good point. I just remember being in the press box because like in the, obviously like I'm a little different because I'm removed from the environment, but it's like, in a way, it's almost like I'm sort of looking down on everything and like taking the atmosphere. And it was, I'm just, I remember it's like halfway through the first quarter, I'm just like, it's kind of, it, it's not quiet, but it's like, this just sort of feels like a normal football crowd and not like the bounce house, you know? You looking down on everyone and everything is your natural state. So. Yes. Just staring down, like interesting. <laughs> um, But yeah, no, uh, it'll be nice to go there and just over three weeks and hopefully man, erase man. some of those memories just over three weeks from, god from navy hey if but ucf yeah. wants to like uh send out credential applications that'd be cool uh-huh. <laughs> well actually also that's on the same kind of wavelength if they want to send out like the um digital versions of the season tickets i don't think i've gotten mine yet but yeah i don't know yeah. they got they got 22 days to get it done so yeah got about 22 days so um man i'm looking forward to it. it's gonna be fun but i can't wait um this podcast has been fun. We've got we've covered a lot, one. as we promised. We covered a lot, um, and we will continue to probably have some packed episodes here down the final few weeks before kickoff. But please keep listening. Please keep leaving us those five star reviews and asking we're, us. We're three weeks away from our first late night pod. Ooh, yeah, that's exciting. That'll be that one. I don't think I mean, that we'll we'll bring some energy for that one because it'll be oh, the yeah. first late night pod in a long time. It'll be the first um, ever late night pod for a Big Twelve team. Wow, crazy. Um, yeah, keep leaving us those five star reviews. Keep asking us questions so we can, you know, start each podcast with with our answers to those questions. Um, but we'll be back next week with episode 153. Until then, you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams22, at by CA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Thank you guys so much for being with us. And we will talk to you soon. Bye, everybody.